Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 65. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah 65. And I'm going to read the first seven verses and then over to Romans 12. And uh, hallelujah, we'll be finishing Romans 12. Uh, Lord willing, this week, this week, uh, then next week is going to be starting a little mini series on chapter 13. So stay tuned for that as well. Isaiah chapter 65. Uh, this is judgment on, uh, God's people who turned away from him. And the later portion of the chapter, we see God, God's grace and his salvation that he gives to his people. But, uh, for this morning, we're just going to keep it here because those who do not turn to the Lord will face his wrath. He's slow to anger, but his judgment will come to those who do not repent. So he says this, the Lord says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silent, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap, both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord, because they made an offer, because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills. I will measure into their lap payment for their former deeds. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in in a cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servant's sake, and I will not destroy them all. Amen and praise God. Now over to Romans chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 14. Paul says this. I'm going to go 14 and then down to 17 through the end of the chapter. Paul says this, and I want you to hear the words. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. And then down in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father in heaven, as we come before your word, Lord, we know that this is going to be um, something that is, in, in many cases, in real life situations, as we face the, the arrows of the evil one. And again, as I mentioned earlier, we're in such a dark place, uh, a place that's very much antithetical towards uh, anything of the Lord. 
and and many uh, Christians are seen not as friends but as enemies, Lord. So I pray that you would prepare us to live in this manner, to follow you when we're tempted to follow our own inclinations, when we're tempted to follow the world's way, when we're tempted to follow Satan, Lord, that we would not do that, that we would look to you and act in faith and be the people that we're called to be in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the hatred, in every situation, that we would be who we are in Christ Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen and amen. Sounds like I should have prayed that at the end of this message. Maybe I will again. Expectations. This whole section, as we went through glorious Romans, we love Romans, um, we're getting to the point of real application. And these are expectations of you as a Christian. In other words, these are the fruit of, of, of our regeneration, of what it means to be justified, what it looks like to be sanctified. In our sanctification, we're becoming more and more like Christ. Just in case, just to remind you, shorter catechism, question number 35, asks this, what is sanctification? So this whole section, uh, beginning 12, basically through 15, has to deal under the umbrella of what's called our sanctification. That means you're a Christian. Now, this is what it means, what it looks like. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Notice God is still working in us. We're working on our own salvation. God is working in us to work his will through us, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live under righteousness. It's a beautiful, tight little definition of what it means to be sanctified. We're growing. It's 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 Hopefully, it's kind of up, but you have our doubts. It's a process, but it is a process, and we are being sanctified, becoming more like Christ. It's your job to yield to Christ. It's a reality as we see as we yield to him, as you yield to him, as you take that seriously, and you really want to walk your life, want to live your life for him. We see it more and more. Of course, here's the rub. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to live as a Christian anytime in the best of circumstances, but especially in times like now, times that we find ourselves today. It's not easy because we know we're up against the world, the temptations of the world. We want to, okay, I, I, that, that sin looks too good, or that that's just too tempting. You know, I'll get back to you later, God. The world tempts us in all kinds of ways. The flesh, of course, inside ourselves, we desire sin. Sometimes we desire, many times, almost most of the time, we desire our sin and to please ourselves more than we desire to please God. Now, when we repent, we turn to the Lord. He forgives us, right? But you know that. You know that battle. All right, here's what I want to do. Here's what God says I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to, I'm going to transgress or, or I'm going to omit, okay? The flesh. And, of course, the devil who's behind it all, those arrows, as I mentioned in my prayer. Believe me, beloved, this is a spiritual battle that you're in every single day, and he's firing those darts at you. You lower that shield of faith, guess what? A dart is going to find you. It's going to find you. It's going to find you. The world, the flesh, and the devil, we're up against that. At times, as we've been going through this, it might be difficult for us, I know it is at times, to love one another the way we should. We get annoyed with each other at times. We really shouldn't. We should love each other. That's what we've been talking about here. We should rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes we find that very difficult. We preach a message on that. Weep with those who weep. Same thing. And that's these things are among like-minded people. It's hard enough for us to love each other the way we need to, ought to, and I think even want to, right? It, it gets tough at times. Um, but but that's that's that's... 
we're being conformed to, to do that more and more. So, but it's, it's still pretty tough. But now, here, today, this morning, we're commanded to do something that's absolutely counterintuitive. It goes against what naturally comes to us, the way we would normally think. Counterintuitive, to say the very least, and I think impossible, certainly impossible, apart from His Spirit. We're instructed, those passages that I read this morning, regarding the expectations on how we as Christians deal with people who do not like us very much. Okay, now this isn't hyperbole. I'm not setting up a straw man. I'm not straw manning. This is a fact, and, it's, and it has been a fact for God's people since God had a people. Okay? We're living in a world that's antithetical, antithetical to the things of God. So the stronger you live, the more faithful that you are, the more pushback you can expect from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Peach, it's a big deal. Understand that. The world's not going to love you because you're renewed. The world doesn't love you because you love them. I know we're very misunderstood as Christians, but they see that misunderstanding as hatred, as, in, as intolerance. That's really how, it's, how, how we're portrayed as Christian, and it's becoming more and more and more prevalent and prominent. I'm not joking. I'm not kidding you. I'm telling you. And this is kind of a warning as well. So, so even things that you could say as a Christian 10 or 15 years ago, you can't do that anymore without repercussions. Let me tell you something, beloved. And the more serious you are, the, the deeper this runs, you are seen, if you're living faithfully as a Christian, you are seen by most people, to whatever degree, as intolerant, bigoted, tell me you haven't heard this, exclusive, foolish. <laughs> you guys believe that the world was created by God. Are you, we're science now, duh. How foolish you are. You believe in those myths, those fairy tales. Hateful, archaic, unloving, weird. They might be right there. Uh, <laughs> insane. Irrational, unaccepting troublemakers. And I said insane. And that's a big deal. You need to watch out for that. You need to be really careful about that because we're coming in a day and age, and this has happened in the past, where Christians are, because of what we believe and how we view, it's so counter to where the world is right now that you're going to be seen as crazy, man. That's insane. You spank your kids? That's nuts. Who does that? You discipline another. Let me, let me read something for you real quick. I, I wasn't going to do this, but I am. Here's a question. Should Christians be considered, Christianity be considered a mental illness? Hearing voices, because God speaks to us through his word. God told me to do it. Locking children up and constant indoctrination is not considered a healthy approach to life. See, that's how you're being characterized. And this is not, a, again, not straw manning, I'm telling you. It's coming. It's, it's a, a question is asked of a philosopher or Psychologist, I forget who this man is. A man has a PhD from Yale. Do you agree that religion is just a form of insanity? Yes, religion in all forms is 100% insane. Religion is a mythology. The only difference is that some people have chosen to believe that some myths are real and those myths become their religion. This would be the same as believing Harry Potter is real. Mythology can illuminate the mind. Religion is the grand distraction preventing the illumination from ever happening. Religion is a very effective form of control. 
The more people believe in a religion, the easier it is to manipulate them. And it goes on and on and on. So I'm telling you, we're at a time, and it's happened in the past, where Christians are looked at. You guys are insane. You need to be locked up. You need to be institutionalized for that which you believe. It's on the horizon. If you look it up, it's already coming here. That's why I just wanted to press it on that. But everything else is, is true as well. Why is that? Because you, Christian, you, listen, you are standing in the way of their happiness of their joy, of their fulfillment, of their freedom to be. So we're the troublemakers. When the Christians are going to say, no, 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 God said you can't. God said you must not. God said here's what you must do. Okay, so that's the message we're, we're bringing to them. And they're just living their lives. And you were here before you were a Christian. You know that. You, you had your perception of Christians. Again, some of it is true, but not essentially true of true Christians. You know what I mean? When we're not being who we're called to be, yeah, then, then we can't be hypocritical or we can't be like that. But that's not who we are in Christ. But they see they're living their lives. They have their own worldview, their own ethic, their own morality. And you come along with your gospel. You're what? You're telling me what? Sinner? Repent? Hell? What? Unless I believe in Jesus? Do you see that? Do you have that perspective? We stand before the magistrate and we tell them that they will answer to God that they're under his authority. How much do you think that they like that if they hate God? <laughs> they're not going to like it. See, this is, this is where we are today. Eventually, especially given certain cultural conditions, and those cultural conditions are ripe. I'm warning you and I'm telling you. It's, it's not a secret. It's not a mystery. All you just have to do is just pay attention a little bit and you're seeing this. We're under cultural conditions. Little, where little or compromised truth and compromised faith is at hand. We've compromised the truth so much and we've compromised the faith so much that there's really very little of the real thing left. Right? Every, that is so right. Everybody's just playing these little games, the little Christian games and a little Christian community, like kind of pie in our own little world. They're not equipped to face the real world. They're not equipped to face what's going on before us. And we're not going to do that. Or we're At least many churches, God's churches, not going to do that. Amen and praise God. We must. Right? When God lifts his restraints, when the restraints have been lifted, we talked about this way back in Romans 1, there will be little tolerance for you. Are you ready? Do you understand that? And the more faithful you are, man, again, if you play a little faith, you can, you won't suffer much. It'll be okay. They'll just I'll brush you off. I'll, you're not a threat. But the more faithful you are, the more you care without compromising, expect to be to be persecuted in that way. The more you show biblical love, and I mean biblical love, a biblical love that says, no, here's what God, here's the God who defines love. God says, love this. God says, do not love this. Do not love the world. When you love with that biblical love as opposed to a worldly love, then you need to be ready. When you speak in the truth to a world that loves lies, it's going to cost you. It just is. And here we are. We're finding ourselves we're on the cusp. I think we're beyond the cusp. Don't you? Are we beyond the cusp? Are we in that darkness? It's on, it's on top of us right now. And there's levels 
of harassment that we're going to face. Not all, all at once, oh, totally persecuted. We see it, but listen, there's levels and there's ways and it happens in all different circumstances. It happens when you're with your family members that don't believe or your friends that, that aren't believers. It happens in front of the magistrates. It happens at work. It happens. But there's different levels of kind of harassment for being a Christian. There's kind of harassment, kind of crude joking or, you know, kind of ridicule. You're a Christian, you're one of those guys. Rejection, exclusion, you know. I can't say how many people come around, oh, we're not going to, oh, say, they'll say like a profane word and say, oh, I'm sorry, I said that in front of you. Come on. It's patronizing. You know, they're all going to go out and have fun. They're, they're going to exclude you. You're not going with them because of what you believe. And that's okay, but that's what they do. All this to outright persecution, which is happening. Different levels. That's not the focus of this message. You know that it's happening. We see it happening. It's gaining steam in this country, in North America, throughout the Western world, certainly, and like always in, in, in other parts of the world. But I'm not going to focus on that too much this morning. We know there's levels of, of unequal application of the law. So if you're standing in front of an abortion clinic and you get Busted. How many years in prison do you get sentenced? Somebody tell me. Who got, how many years did they get sentenced? Eleven. Eleven years for saying, no, we don't want you to go in here. But then you can see dudes beating up a cop mercilessly. Oh, I'll see you later. Okay, see, that's the world we're living in today. That's, that's what's happening. That's just a small current example. And what's coming to us is Christian. But here's what I want you to remember. See, we haven't even got to the text yet. Here's what I want you to remember. Always remember this and never forget this. If you're a Christian, it's not really you that they hate. Understand that. Don't take it personal. They do hate you. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately, it's the God that you represent. It's the true and the living God that they really, truly hate. And that's why they come after you and persecute you. Turn with me to John 15, please. John chapter 15, the Gospel of John. This is Jesus talking to his followers. If you love Jesus, if you know that he saved you, if he's everything to you and you want to live for him, here's what you can expect. Here's what you can expect. At times or sometime or maybe all the time, if you live in countries like Nigeria, basically it's all the time you can expect this kind of thing. Are you ready? Jesus says this. You are ready if you're a Christian. You better be ready. He says this. If the world hates you, beginning in verse 18, know that it's hated me before it's hated you. It's not just you. They hate me. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, you belong to me. Because you're not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember The word that I said to you, a servant isn't greater than his master. We're not. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things, but all these things they will do to you on the account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Do you understand? That's the bottom line. It's not, it's not just you. It's, a, oh, you're being this, you're being that. Again, we don't want to be an offense, but if you're preaching the gospel, you're going to be offensive. That's it. That, the offense of the gospel. Don't you be, well, that's, the sermon's basically about that. Don't you be an offense. There's a way that we deal with persecution, but know if you're being faithful that we can expect these kinds of things. It's not fighting 
uh, against us, but they're rebelling against him. Always remember that when you're getting in trouble for serving the Lord. Always remember. They're not fighting against you. They're rebelling against him. That's a good one. Remember that. We're not fighting them. We're not fighting the enemies of the gospel as such. The real battle is against the evil one whose dominion they're under. And that's what you need to remember. You need to remember those are the people that are persecuting, that hate you. You're not fighting against them so much or as such. But it's the one, the real battle is against the evil one whose dominion that they are under that they need to be freed from by the gospel of Christ. That's going to make sense, but hopefully by the end of the, by the end of this message. So Ephesians 6.12, just so you remember, you know this. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in heavenly places. That's what's behind it. That's the demonic behind it. Sometimes it's more um, expressive than others. Sometimes it's more evident than others. If any of you watched the October 7th massacre, you could see the sheer evil and just like beyond this world evil behind that, this kind of thing that we're talking about. Uh, John 8, 44, Jesus says this, you're of your father the devil to the religious leaders and, and it replies to all those who are in Christ. You're of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's a spiritual battle. So see behind what's going on and happening to you as you as you suffer for Christ. And then finally, Acts 26. I wanted to put this in here because Paul was speaking before the king, and he's saying, and here's what the Lord told him to do. He said, you're going, you're going to preach. You're delivering, delivering you from the people... I'm sorry, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. So God is sending Paul to the Gentiles especially to do what? And check this out, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. So what's that assume? What's that presuppose, man? That they are already under the power of Satan. They're already in the power of darkness. That's what the gospel does. It turns us from that that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. They are not the enemy per se. They belong to the enemy. So you remember that when we're facing hardships from those who come at us. Now, with all this in mind, everything that I just said, please, I hope you remember it. Um, let's get to the text. It says this. Hopefully this won't be too long. Again, verse 14 I want to read 14, 17, and 19. I'm not taking this in chronological order, obviously. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Down in 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then verse 19, he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. Okay, so this, this, when he says, uh, bless those who, who curse you, uh, bless and do not curse, right away that echoes something, doesn't, doesn't echo Jesus, like you think of the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm gonna just turn back to Matthew, uh, chapter, uh, five, beginning in verse 43, and you'll see the connective, uh, tissue there. Remember, Jesus says this too. He says this in Matthew five, ver- verse 43 and following, says, um, you've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's the command from Christ. So that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on evil and good, and he sends a rain on the just and the unjust. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's easy. Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So when he says, bless those who persecute you, bless them and do not curse, what are we to do? We're told explicitly, obviously, that when we're faithful, in times we're going to face difficulties, trials, persecutions from others, just because of what you believe and who you are in Christ. That's just a fact, obviously. We're taught to expect this, First Peter, right? We're taught to expect it. Paul, Peter says this, Beloved, don't be surprised. Don't act as, you know, something crazy is happening to you. At the fiery trial, when it comes to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. And I want you to be prepared for this, because we're living a certain way right now. It may, by God's grace, continue. Praise God if it does, but it, it very well may not. Things may be a lot different in a very short time, and you need to be ready. And don't be like, oh, no, I, I mean, I can't believe I don't have my house. I don't have this anymore. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Oh, I can't believe this is happening. This is my routine. It's out of my life. What's that? It's not something strange. It's ordained by God. It's in his providence. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. Again, remember that, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, then you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's our encouragement for standing uh, strong in Christ. So knowing what you know, knowing what you know, is it right for you to curse or to repay or to exact vengeance on those who would, whatever level of harassment to persecution you find yourself in? What What is our response to be? Now listen, you could curse out your persecutor, and that's kind of the temptation, that's the flesh, that's the world's way, you know, that, that visceral reaction. You're doing wrong to me. I've done nothing wrong. All I've said is the truth, I'm, I, and I even love you, and I'm being punished for that. I'm being rejected because of that. How dare you do it? So, so there's a there's a kind of you know wanting to to just kind of repay them or or, or curse them, be visceral. But understand this: when he says bless and do not curse them, we already know that those people are under a curse already, and that's what you have to keep in mind. Everything I've been saying to this point, you remember that when it's going to be so hard to remember, when you don't want to remember because what they're doing to you or what they're doing to somebody you love. But you remember that, that they're under a curse already. The same curse that you were under. The same curse that I was under, under the curse of the law separated from Christ. Galatians 3.10 tells us, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and to do them. Remember that. You can curse them, or you can bless them. And that's hard to do. Again, depending on the level of maturity in Christ, it's hard to do. And when he says bless them, it's not this, like, silly, like, oh, I bless you, and they've hurt you. Oh, I bless you. It's not like that. To to bless them in this context, in this idea, it, it means that you're praying for them. That's how you're blessing them, because they need Christ. It's preaching the gospel to them. It's enduring patiently, bravely, honorably, showing and telling them Jesus Christ. Don't repay evil for evil, but bless them. 
And how do you bless your persecutors? By praying for them, by preaching to them, by showing them that they need Christ. And, and your reaction, not only your words, but your reaction says a lot to them and speaks volume. The Lord may be pleased to use that. Proverbs 20, 22 says this. Do not say, I will repay evil. That's a natural inclination. And so, you know, that's what we want to do. Wait for the Lord. He will deliver you. First Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Amen? And praise God. you got to remember this. Non-believers, and even some believers, people in this world, it's how most people react. It's how they think. It's how they feel. They're justified in repaying evil for evil, especially if they've been wronged and they're in the right. You know what that feels like. You know when you're right, <laughs> and you're suffering for that. People say that you're wrong. You didn't do anything wrong, and you're treated like you did do something wrong. <laughs> That's what we want to do. No. And, you know, you took this from me. I'm going to take that payback, getting even. You're just receiving what you deserve. That's all. Sweet vengeance feels so good. Justice in that way. Of course. To be mistreated, to be maligned, to be persecuted is not right, and it's not fair, especially because we are so misunderstood. People misunderstand us. They think that we're intolerant. They think that we hate. We love them. We love them with the love of Christ, but they don't see it like that. They see it as hatred. They see it as you know, not, 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 not loving me for where I'm at and what I'm doing, not affirming me in that way. We're mischaracterized all the time. Here's the deal. And here's what I want you to get. And here's what I want you to learn. (sighs) Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Yes, we're going to be treated unfairly. Yes, we're going to be misunderstood, mischaracterized. But you don't want to let it go to the place where sin takes hold of your own heart. Where all you're worried about is, I can't wait till that person gets it. I, I want to reap. They don't let that. Because if you develop a deep-seated hatred for a person, a group, or these people, or those people, when sinful anger, sinful anger, not righteous anger, when sinful anger takes hold, all you're going to want to see is their destruction. Doesn't matter, right? When, you know, when you get so angry, I just wish you were dead, or you did this, you're going to get your... When that takes hold, be careful. That's what we don't want to let happen. That's why he says, bless them and don't curse them. Because if that sinful anger takes hold, you are not going to bless them. You're not going to be a blessing to them. You can't, and you won't be able to offer the gospel in that situation, unless it's through clenched teeth, right? You can't rightly witness to anybody while wishing evil upon them. You can't do it. It's not going to work that way. Right? You, 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 you can't rightly pray for somebody while you're plotting your revenge. It doesn't work that way. You know, vengeance, and I'm not talking about seeking justice. Amen. We, we could use the system. So what I'm talking, I'm talking about your heart right now. I'm talking about your spirit. I'm talking about your attitude when you're facing difficulties and persecution and harassment. When you are in the right and they're in the wrong and how are you going to respond? You're going to respond like this. Because if you let that hate take hold of your heart, you're not going to want them to come to Christ. You're just going to want them to die and go to hell. You're just going to want them to get even and get your thing. That's right. You're not going to be able to do that. You can't rightly witness while wishing evil. 
You can't rightly pray for somebody while you're plotting your revenge. That's counterproductive. Don't do that. He's saying don't do that. That's why he said bless, do not curse, don't take vengeance, leave it to God. And I can give you solace and say, you know, even if that evil goes and they kind of get away with it, they're not going to get away with it before the Lord. Okay, that's cool, amen, praise God. But you should even wish that. You understand what I'm saying to you? What if people wish that upon you when you did evil before you were a Christian and say, okay, you're going to get yours before God and I can't wait for that day. Watch out for that. Yeah, they're going to answer to the Lord. But don't you, you pray that before it comes to that, that they would repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that they will stand before God. We know that they'll give account and they'll receive their due if they don't repent. But you shouldn't delight in that. You shouldn't be rubbing your hands. Oh, you're going to get yours. You should hope that they repent before they get theirs before the Lord, just like he gave you repentance. We leave vengeance to God. We pray for even our worst enemies that they would not have to be subject to his wrath. You understand? That's a big deal. Because sometimes in our hearts, you know, we're so angry in our hearts and say, oh man, they got away with it now, but they won't get away before God. That is true. And it may come to that. But you better pray that it doesn't. For them. You wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy to be under the wrath of God. Okay? Bless and do not curse. You don't take vengeance. You leave it to God. Repay no one evil for evil. That fairness. You got to get rid of that fairness mind that we have. It's only fair. It's only right. Dude, I'm sorry. We live in an unfair world and we're going to be treated unfairly. Just get used to it. Okay? Just get used to it. If you insist on fairness down the line, you're going to be awfully disappointed. You need to trust in the Lord and live for him. All right. We leave the vengeance to the Lord. Okay, so I'm coming to your response. What's our response to this? Verses 18, 20 through 21. He says this. All right. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. And then down to 20. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, so he says, insofar as it depends on you, live in peace with all people. That's that's a wise problem. That's what this means. Now listen, it means this. Well, first of all, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you ignore or merely pretend that there's no problem or sin. I can't stand when people do that. Okay, I'm going to live in peace. I'm just going to, oh, love covers a multitude of sins. And that's true, but we don't pretend that there's nothing wrong if we're not dealing with it biblically because it's just going to build up in our hearts and lives and there'll be a resentment in your heart anyway. Maybe not outwardly because you're going to act like everything's cool, but it's really not because your heart's still resentful. You know what I'm saying? I know you do. I know you understand. So so it doesn't ignore or pretend that there's no problem. That's not what it means to be at peace insofar as it depends on you. It doesn't placate or cower. It doesn't do that either. Like, you know, I'm just just going to Okay, honey, just don't be mad at me and kind of keep it, keep everything okay. And that's not what that means either insofar as it depends on you. That's just cowardice, it's not facing it, you know? I, I hope you do. And it especially doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean when he says to, to live insofar as possible as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. It does not mean that you, Christian, compromise your beliefs, your faith, it doesn't mean that you affirm, embrace, or go against what is right to preserve a relationship 
or to avoid consequences. That's a, that's a, that could be a sermon in and of itself. You don't do that. That's not what it means to say be at peace because, well, if I approach this, then my relationship might go and I want to keep this. No, no. I don't want to get this person mad. No, no. That's not, that's not. That's, we don't do that. Or to avoid consequences. Well, I'm not going to bring this up because this will happen. And that's not what that means. It does mean, it does mean that we acknowledge the problem, the issue, and we deal with it biblically. It does mean that we speak boldly the truth in love. That's what it means. But it especially means this, that you be careful, insofar as it depends on you, that you be careful that you do not purposely provoke another to anger. Do you understand that? If you can, love covers a multitude of sin and truly put it away from you. Amen. Praise God for that. But don't you dare... Go on and, and, and purposely provoke another to anger by the things that you do, by the things that you say. That's what that means. Insofar as it depends on you. All right, I know I could say something that's going to push your buttons. And I know I'm in the right, but I'm not going to do that. Right? And to keep the peace in that way. Or approach it in a biblical way. Okay? Careful not to purposely provoke, but do all you can to speak wisely. At some level, you understand why. Proverbs fifteen twelve or 15, 1 and 2, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. The mouth of the fools pour out folly. So a soft answer turns away wrath. doesn't mean you don't answer, but you answer in a biblically loving way. And so far as it depends on you, and you have that opportunity, how you're going to respond to somebody. You're going to respond, right, by the world, by, in, in the flesh, or are you going to respond in the spirit in that way? That goes for everybody, including those who are against us. Now, finally, I, 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 you know, verse 20, and I know it's, it's taken from Proverbs 25, so it's nothing new. It's not new with Paul. This is who God's people have always been expected to be this way. But this is extraordinarily profound, what I'm about to say, like what's being taught here. And this shows that you can't do it on your own strength. Because it's one thing, isn't it, to, to, to pray for people that don't love you. Ah, I'm gonna pray for that, that person. It's one thing to, to endure. You know, I'm not gonna respond in a way that's, I'm not gonna get even with them. It's, it's something to, to even try to live peaceably among them as much as you can. But the one thing that we don't wanna do when we're under persecution, when we're being wronged for being right, where things are being taken away from us, where our freedoms are gone, where our family's being hurt, where personally we're suffering. The last thing that we really want to do is extend grace and mercy. Uh, but that's what that teaches. That's exactly what Paul said. When he says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. I can't. That... The, you have to be a Christian to be able to do this. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. For then you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't overcome, don't be overcome by evil, which is easy to do. Ah, I'm gonna get it. But overcome evil with good. That's obedience to Christ, who we're called to be. This is part of that. This is how we overcome evil. When he says hot coals, that way you're pouring hot coals on their head. I, I want you to understand something. It's not trying to make a person feel guilty for what they've done to you. If they're, if they're nasty, then you're, you respond in an unexpected way that, you know, 
Wow, I, I feel guilty in that way. You're not trying to appeal to their emotions. That's not, that's not our goal. It might happen, but that's not, that's not why we do that. It's not the idea or the, I don't know, the say, saying, no matter how bad you, you treat me, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to love you because that's what I am, a Christian. Christians keep loving people. Meanwhile, inside, you're hating on them. That's not that. You know what I'm saying. I'm supposed to love you. I'm a Christian. Oh, okay, I wish you were dead. That's not that. That's, that's, okay, the hot coals, the hot coals is so profound. Because listen, man, you're not trying to win them to Christ. That's not, and that's not, if it does, amen and praise God. But what it means is that you are aware. It's being aware of the mercy and of the grace that you received when you were still a sinner against God. And it means that you still see, no matter how awful you're being treated, no matter how bad and how wicked they are, you still see their deepest and desperate need for Jesus Christ, no matter how they treat you. Perhaps God will use this, but it's not a guarantee. It's not not a guarantee but it might be a means. Do you understand? Right, I'm going to close with an with a illustration of this. This is going to be especially pertinent for those who go down to the abortion clinic, mill. You know what it's like? You're down there for three hours, and you see women going in, not listening to your pleas. But what's even, not even, but what's, what's hard as well is you have the escorts there. They're escorts. If you haven't been down there, especially on Saturdays, if a woman's going to get an abortion, there'll be people with the, the uh, things on, the reflector, what are they? The orange vests, yeah. And they kind of get in between you and the person going in to get the abortion and, you know, they're standing your way. And you, you know, if you've been down there, it's, it gets hard sometimes. Three hours of, of the escorts, like, just ignoring you <laughs> as you're, at least not, like, tuning you out or, or laughing at you. We know what that's like, standing across the street. Getting between you and the woman, angrily yelling at you, if you put one foot on the yellow line, the, the zone there, which we're actually allowed to be in, but you know, that can get in your face and scream and yell at you and I'm calling the police and you get out of here! You get out of here! You're going to get it! You could feel the seething with some of the escorts. Disdain, almost. Five women go in, nobody comes out. Nobody stopped. Nobody stopped from going in. You're walking. After it's all over, you're walking back to your car from the clinic, the mill. You come parked in a back alley a couple blocks away. You're about to get in your car. You see um, two men running away. And you see a woman on the ground who's been accosted, who's been beaten severely and who's been robbed and just kind of almost clinging to life. And you go over and it's her. Not the escort, the abortionist. What are you going to do at that moment? I know maybe some might, for a very split second, like Joseph's brother say, maybe we should just finish the job. Maybe a split second. But I know more would say, you know what? 
You deserve that. You deserve that. All the life that you take, ten women who went into your clinic, not one came out with a baby. I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to leave you because that's what you deserve. What are you going to do? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good.